We're going to keep uh, plugging through the, the tail end of Ephesians here, uh, and I hope you'll uh, forgive me, uh, bear with me here, that it's going to take us just a little bit longer than even I anticipated uh, and explained to you last week. I had thought that I would preach verses 10 through 20 of Ephesians 6 in one sermon. Um, it's now three sermons. Uh, so, <clears throat> forgive me for that. Uh, last week, we, uh, we ended up just looking at verses 10 through 13, uh, kind of the introduction to the spiritual battle that we're in. Uh, we talked about uh, the, the nature of, of the battle that we're fighting uh, as God's people, uh, the, the, the kind of enemy that we face, not against flesh and blood, but, but against rulers and principalities and authorities and heavenly places. And so we talked about knowing that we're in a spiritual battle, being aware of the power that is at work within us through the resurrection of Jesus uh, and the armor that he's provided. Today, we're going to focus on the, the defensive elements of the armor of God. So we'll be in verses 14 through like the first half of 17. Uh, that's what we'll focus on today. It's the defensive pieces of the armor. And then next, uh, next Sunday we'll hear from Mike. And then the Sunday after that, so that'll be the 17th, uh, we'll look at the offensive tools, the weapons that God has given us in this armor. And then there'll be one final message in Ephesians on the 24th of January, where we look at the last couple of verses, really Paul's kind of closing uh, greetings, uh, and then a bit of an overview of the message of Ephesians in, in one sort of message, one exhortation. All right, hopefully you have your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 6. The context, of course, of this, these verses is uh, the, the tail end of these exhortations that Paul's been making to the church to live the gospel-shaped life. Right? We, we've founded upon the gospel of God's grace, his resurrecting grace in our lives and uniting us as a new people with Christ in chapters 1 through 3. And then chapter 4 through the end, he's been uh, appealing to us, exhorting us to live like we believe the gospel. Right? To, to let our relationships and our character and our words and, uh, and all these things that our households be conducted, shaped around the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he concludes the letter with this exhortation to all of the church um, to remember that we are in a spiritual battle. We are in a battle against the devil and his kingdom. In the verses we looked at last week, he assured us of Christ's power at work within us, of God's armor around us, and of Christ's ultimate victory over Satan. Right, Stand firm, having done all, to stand, knowing that Christ has already defeated this enemy, and one day we will share in the spoils of that victory. So we'll read verses 10 through 20, uh, and then we'll focus in on verses 14 through uh, the first part of 17. So let me read for us, beginning of verse 10. <clears throat> Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness 
and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. May the Lord bless his word and apply it by his spirit to our lives. Here's the big idea for the verses we're going to focus on today. The big idea is this. In Christ, in the gospel of Christ, we find all the defense we need to withstand the attacks of the devil. In the gospel of Christ, we find all the defense we need to withstand the attacks of the devil. So the focus of these first uh, four pieces of the armor of God is defense, right? It's important for us to know that that's not the whole thing. That's not the whole picture. The overall picture of the church as God's people and the spiritual battle that's waging is not one of the church huddled in a corner, afraid and trying its best just to fend off attacks with no hope and, and, and helpless. That's not the picture of the church and the kingdom of God that we find uh, throughout the New Testament. So we are not only in a defensive posture. There is an offense uh, to the church's life and to the advancement of the kingdom of God. That's what we'll focus on next week. So I don't want to get too far down the road on that. But the first several pieces of the armor that we consider that Paul lays out for us today are defensive pieces. They are intended to prepare us for the attacks that the enemy will send to us, that the devil is sure to throw our way. Our defense ultimately is the gospel. It is the glorious good news that Jesus Christ in his sinless life and his atoning death and his victorious resurrection has declared victory over Satan and has welcomed all of his people to share in the spoils of that victory. We are victors victors with Christ, right? Through Christ, we overwhelmingly conquer, or we are more than conquerors, that famous line from Romans chapter 8. And the, the gospel is what gives us our defense. And so he gives us four particular uh, elements of that defense here in these verses. And the first one is this. It's the belt of truth, right? It's the belt of truth. Stand therefore. So there's this exhortation, this imperative verb, stand. That's a command. Christians, stand. And then everything that follows it in this passage is is a participle, grammatically, which means it's just explaining the manner in which we are to stand, right? Stand is the command. And then the manner in which we stand is having taken up uh, the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Okay, so that's the, the, the way that this all unfolds. So what is the belt of truth all about? Again, remember that the armor is just metaphor, right? The, the, the use of, of, of a physical armor with a belt and a breastplate and a shield and a helmet and shoes is just a metaphor 
for the, the tools that God has given us in the gospel to prepare for uh, the attacks of the enemy. So what, what does it mean that we would put on the belt of truth? I think it's more than just truthfulness. Not just the belt of, say, being truthful or being honest. As important as that is, right? We should be, of all people, we should be people of truth. We should care about the accuracy, the rightness of a statement or a source. We should be those who, as he already exhorted us earlier in the book of Ephesians, uh, to, to speak the truth to one another in love. Don't lie to your neighbor, right? He called us to that in chapter 4. So we should be people of truth. But that's not what he means here. I don't think he means just that we would put on the belt of, of truthfulness. But namely, that we would put on the belt of the truth. That is the body of Christian truth. Namely, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The message of salvation by grace through faith in Christ for his glory. So to put on the belt of truth means, at the very least, we have got to be able to distinguish between the true gospel and a counterfeit gospel. And if you don't think there are counterfeit gospels that may come your way, um, there's just take a look on social media, flip on any of the so-called Christian TV stations, and you'll find many of them. There are many counterfeits of the gospel, uh, prosperity, the, the so-called prosperity gospel. If you just trust God enough, then he'll give you everything that you've ever dreamed of and you can be healthy and, and wealthy and wise uh, and you just have to believe it and, and claim it and trust that God's going to give that to you. That's not, that's not the gospel. That is a counterfeit gospel. But it comes from the lips of those who claim to speak for God and who will uh, even hold the Bible and, and, and take a verse from it and speak it as though uh, that's, uh, that's what the Word of God says, but they rip it from its context and distort it of all of its meaning and really uh, make it devoid of Christ himself, devoid of the cross and, and any need for sacrifice and, and the reality of sin. So that's just one, but there are many ways that... that uh, that counterfeit gospels will come our way. And to put on the belt of truth means that we need to be people who are discerning enough to recognize when what we're hearing is the true gospel and what we're hearing is a false gospel. In fact, Christians are called uh, to discernment throughout the New Testament. If this weren't a need, if it weren't likely to be the case that we would be bombarded with false messages and false gospels, then the New Testament writers would not have taken such efforts to urge Christians to be careful about what they believe and about what they listen to and to take actions to reject that which is false. In fact, in this very letter, back in chapter 4, verses 13 and 14, Paul spoke of maturing, right, of, of the, the church growing up into uh, the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is chapter 4, verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. <laughs> Whose schemes would those be? The schemes of the devil. 
He's the one who schemes against us. He's the one who is actively, intentionally, strategically working to destroy the work of God in the people of God. And so we need to be aware of the deceitful schemes that he will use to lead us astray, namely to to, to preach to us false gospels and have us begin to believe false things about God and about ourselves and about the way that he relates to us. In Colossians 2, 8, Paul himself said to this, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. There are things that we may hear, worldly wisdom and ideas and philosophies that sound plausible to us, that sound reasonable. And indeed, Satan loves to take a, a half-truth and mix it with, uh, with, with untruth and thus deceive people in that way because it's not all false, it's only partly false. And so the part of it that's true sounds right to us and so we gravitate toward it. As J.I. Packer famously said, a half-truth masquerading as the whole truth becomes a complete untruth. And so that is one of the ways that Satan works all the time, is to deceive Christians with half-truths and half-baked gospels. In the book of Jude, that little letter at the, uh, at the very back of the Bible, just before Revelation, Jude 1.3, uh, he, he says to his readers that he is writing to, to urge them to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And again, to contend for the faith means the body of Christian teaching, the, the message of salvation by Christ, right? By grace through faith in Christ. And he's saying, contend for this, fight for this, hold to it. The author of Hebrews urges us in chapter 10 to hold fast to our confession, Why do we have to hold fast to our confession? Because there is an enemy who is trying to pry our fingers loose so that our confession of Christ will fall to the floor. We need to be aware of his attacks and we need to know the gospel well enough that we can discern the true gospel from a false gospel. So the belt of truth is about defending ourselves against Satan's deception. It's about defending ourselves from Satan's deception. So that's the first thing we need to do to prepare for the spiritual battle is to make sure the gospel is good and tight around your waist. You know it. You are in it. You are resting on it. You will not be led astray by any false message that does not present Christ and him crucified as the sole source of life and hope. And... Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. Of course, the breastplate would be this thick metal that goes over the the midsection, the chest and and ribs, kind of torso area. Obviously guarding the heart, right? This This is the, all of the sort of essential internal organs are right here. And this breastplate would be covering that up to protect the sort of inner life here of, of the soldier. And when he tells us to take up the breastplate of righteousness, what he doesn't mean is to live, to to be righteous. I don't think he's saying here, put on the breastplate of your own righteousness. In fact, I think we all know how well that would go. Uh, If I'm going into spiritual battle equipped with only my own righteousness, I'm not going to stand very long. I'm not going to last against the attacks of the devil. No, the righteousness 
that we are to put on as this breastplate is the righteousness of Christ applied to us in the gospel. Because when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, he gave to us his very righteousness. And that is the righteousness that shields us from the enemy. In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, Paul says this, God, for our sake, made him to be sin who knew no sin. That is, speaking of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, he knew no sin, and God made him to become sin, right? On the cross, enduring all of our sin uh, in himself. He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's what happened in the, at the cross and at the moment of conversion when the Holy Spirit grants uh, a, a quickening and a new life and the ability to see and perceive the, the glory of Jesus Christ in the cross, what happens is our sin gets put on Jesus and his righteousness gets put on us. The big uh, million dollar word for that is imputation. It's the doctrine of the imputation of Christ's righteousness. That is the crediting of his righteousness to our account through faith in his atoning death. So when we put on the breastplate of righteousness, what we're doing is reminding ourselves that in reality, though we live in tension and we still struggle with indwelling sin, in reality, we are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That is our defense. You know, one of Satan's favorite weapons is guilt. One of the most effective strategies that Satan has in your life is to remind you of your own sin. He loves to remind Christians of their sins. Past failures, present struggles and persuade them to doubt their standing with God. That is an attack of the enemy. If you ever find yourself thinking about your sin, dwelling on your sin, feeling terrible about your sin, beginning to loathe yourself because of your sin, and starting to think, man, God can't even really put up with me. There's no way that God's grace is big enough for me. I have messed this up. I have sinned so many times. There's nothing left for me. That is an attack of the devil, because that's not the gospel. That is not the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that you stand clothed with the very righteousness of Jesus, not your own righteousness. It's true that you're a sinner. It's true that you have done things and are probably struggling with things and will continue to do things throughout your life that displease God, that do not honor his commands. That is true. But what is also true is that the righteousness of Jesus covers you. And that is what the Lord sees when he looks at you. Martin Luther's famous uh, advice uh, to Christians when they're struggling with uh, Satan's accusations is this. He says, when the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this. I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, Son of God. And where he is, there I shall be also. Praise God. Where he is, we are and evermore shall be. 
seated with him in the heavenly places. Remember the reality of our union with Christ. His righteousness is ours. So our defense against the, against the devil's accusations is not our own righteousness. It's the righteousness of Jesus. It's the reminder, no, Satan, I'm standing not on my own righteousness, but in the righteousness of Christ. That's my defense. It's the, the righteousness of Christ imparted to me because of the gospel. That is how I stand against your accusations. I can hear truth in I am a sinner and not be despairing because of it because I know one who stands in my place and whose righteousness he's given to me. In the words of a hymn that we sometimes sing, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God, the just, is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Praise God. This is our defense against Satan's accusations, the breastplate of righteousness. The third element of the armor is uh, the shoes of readiness, if you will. He says the, the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So what we're putting on our feet as our sort of uh, marching shoes, right, our boots, if you will, is readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. I think calling it the gospel of peace means it's the gospel of our peace with God through Christ. Right? He himself is our peace. And so because we're now at peace with God through the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have this charge to be ready, I think, ready with the gospel. Now, the element of surprise, if you think about the need for readiness, the element of surprise is the most, one of the most important strategic advantages that an army can gain over an opponent. If you can find your opponent unprepared, you drastically increase the effectiveness of your attack. If they're just plain not ready for you, you're probably going to win that battle. The readiness that comes from the gospel is our preparation. It's what enables us to get ready for Satan's advances. And again, specifically, I believe that the readiness in view is an eagerness to proclaim the gospel. I think it's a readiness to, to announce the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. It's a call to be alert to opportunities for the gospel in relationships and conversations in our daily lives. There's a few places in scripture where I, I see that reflected. In 2 Timothy 4.2, Paul urges Timothy, his young protege, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Right? You always have to be ready with the, the word of God, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be ready with it. Be prepared to give it to somebody who needs to hear it. In 1 Peter 3 verse 15, he tells us, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Right? So when somebody comes to you, and not always in a friendly way, somebody may be attacking you. Why do you think you know better than everybody else? Well, be ready with a defense. And the defense is not, hey, I'm a nice guy. Don't, don't attack me. The defense is, bro, let me tell you 
about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you can have the same confidence. This is the reason I have hope. It's because Christ has taken my sins upon himself and, and given me his very righteousness and equipped me for battle now and for eternal life in his kingdom. There, there's an always being ready to give a defense. And maybe making this even more explicit connection to the, the shoes of, of readiness is the prophecy in Isaiah 52, verse 7, which says this, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who bring good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. The shoes of the readiness of the gospel of peace are all about our preparation, our eagerness, and our attentiveness to opportunities for the gospel and taking advantage of those opportunities when God places them in our path. We need to be ready to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Indeed, that's the mission that he's given to his church. Go, therefore, and make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. It's the preaching of the gospel, the the inviting into the kingdom of God of sinners who are separated from him that he has called us to do. And Satan would love to get us off track. So the, the shoes of readiness are all about preparing us for Satan's distractions from our mission, that we might be ready to recognize a disruptive and distracting attack of Satan. No, you're trying to get me off course. You're trying to put my eye on the wrong ball, right? If I'm supposed to be over here, you got me looking this other direction, and so I'm going to miss the opportunities that God has for me and the work that he has for us to do. We're going to be ready. We're going to put readiness on our feet that come from the gospel, and we will be prepared to give a defense for the hope that is in us. The next element of, uh, of the armor that he tells us about is the shield of faith. The shield of faith. In all circumstances, verse 16, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. This is the only one of the defensive elements that he actually gives a little sort of explanation about, right, or a little commentary of. He says, get the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation and the shoes of the readiness, right? But when he gets to the shield of faith, he says, with which you may extinguish all the darts of the evil one. This is really important. And again, it's a reminder that the battle we're in is a spiritual battle, not a physical battle. You can't fight a spiritual battle with physical weapons. So if you're going to use spiritual weapons, it starts right here. It starts with faith. It starts with trusting God taking him at his word. And that becomes our shield as we're carrying, we're moving forward into battle and we're carrying a shield hooked to the arm, right? Ready to fend off the darts that may come from different directions that he'll throw our way. It's faith that enables us to fight back against those darts. And faith is all about who we believe. It's all about who we trust. The defense against Satan's attacks is not self-confidence. It's confidence in the Lord. 
we go astray when we go into spiritual battle with confidence in ourselves. I got this. I can handle this. This is no problem. I'm strong, right? That we are we are preparing ourselves to fall. We're preparing ourselves to fail. If that's the way we go into battle. No, the shield of faith is not faith in ourselves. It's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. When we settle in our hearts that Jesus Christ, who lives within us by his spirit, is greater than he who is in the world, and we stubbornly decide to take him at his word, the darts of the enemy lose their sting. When Satan tries to plant seeds of doubt, is that really what God said? He's done that from the beginning. When Satan plants seeds of doubt, when we remember who we believe and we decide, I'm going to listen to God and take him at his word, even if what I hear contradicts it or makes me question it. No, I'm trusting God. I'm taking him at his word. Then we are ready to defend against the darts of the enemy. It's the shield of faith that Adam and Eve foolishly lowered in the garden, thus becoming susceptible to the serpent's narrative, right? This, this false narrative he began to weave, and God's really kind of holding out on you. He knows that there's something good that would happen to you if you ate that fruit, and that's why he's telling you not to do it. And they became susceptible to that narrative because Satan, in the form of the serpent, sowed seeds of doubt in God's word and God's goodness. Can I really trust him? Does he really have my best interest at heart? Is that really what God said? So the shield of faith is all about defending ourselves against Satan's flaming darts of doubt and mistrust. And believe me, he wants you to doubt God. He wants you to mistrust him. He wants you to question whether you can really believe his word, whether you can really trust his heart for you. Maybe God really doesn't have my best interest in heart because look at all the hard things that have happened in my life. Maybe, maybe God doesn't really care about me. Those are attacks of the enemy. That is Satan throwing darts at you to cause you to doubt and distrust God. The shield of faith. I know whom I have believed and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. I am trusting in him. That is the shield that knocks the darts of the enemy out of your path. And then the final defensive element of the armor is the helmet of salvation. And again, he goes through it very quickly and jumps straight into the the offensive weapons. And so we're going to pause in the middle of verse 17. And he says, and take the helmet of salvation. The helmet. So again, if you think about these old, you know, ancient kind of Roman Soldiers and the, the kind of ar- shields and, and, and armor they'd have, right? You've got this big metal helmet that, that covers your head and usually has a little thing that you know goes down the nose, right? So you can still see, but all the, the head is, is covered and protected. And the helmet is really important, right? In fact, there's a, a sense in which you could say it's the most important element of, of the armor because the head is the... The, the guiding part of the body. And Paul himself has used that language in the analogy of the church as the body of Christ. Christ is the head, we are the body. He used that analogy in, in, in the relationship of, of marriage as kind of a metaphor for the gospel, right? The husband is the head of the wife. 
And so the head is the, the one that, that leads, right? And so the, the head needs to be uh, protected in order for uh, the soldier to have success in battle. And the helmet is salvation. The helmet is the condition of souls that have been redeemed by Jesus Christ and are now in right standing with God. Our salvation is the fully completed work of Jesus Christ on our behalf, applied to our souls by the Holy Spirit upon our conversion when we trusted in Christ. It is the guarantee of our inheritance that he talked about in chapter 1, verse 11. Sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of Christ Jesus. Right? It, this is our standing with God, the, the condition of having been forgiven of our sins, united to Christ, seated with him in the heavenly places, and guaranteed this future inheritance. This is our salvation. It's a very full-bodied, I think, picture of what it means to have new life in Christ. And this is what guards our head, right? It's no coincidence, I don't think, that Paul mentions it last, right? Perhaps the most important element of the body. It's this salvation that guards our head because it is the unswerving confidence that we will one day safely arrive on the shores of God's kingdom that enables us to keep marching and keep fighting. The helmet of salvation is remember who you are. Remember what God has done in your life. Remember the reality in which you live because you're united to Jesus Christ. Because what's his is yours. His resources are your resources. His future is your future. That is the truth about you. That is your salvation. And because that's the case, you can keep going. You can keep fighting because you know, no matter how hard this battle is, no matter how intense it gets, no matter how painful it may be, even if the battle costs me my life, I know that I will safely arrive at home with God. That is how secure we are because of the work of Jesus Christ in our behalf. So the helmet of salvation gives us the energy to keep moving forward. The confidence. Friends, God has provided you with every tool you need to defend yourself against the attacks of the devil in the gospel of his son. Because Christ died in your place and rose to life again, because he has united you to himself through faith, <clears throat> you can stand firm against Satan's deceptions, his accusations, his distractions and the seeds of doubt and you can confidently know that you will ultimately make it safely home on the shoulders of the one who by his atoning death and victorious resurrection crushed the head of the serpent let's pray <clears throat>